Hi, my name is Ryan Flaherty, and I'm the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. I train some of the world's best athletes, like Russell Wilson, Marcus Mariota, and Serena Williams. At Nike, we believe that greatness isn't born, it's trained. And training is more than just a workout. Each episode, we'll bring you conversations with leading experts in what we call the five facets of training. Movement, recovery, sleep, nutrition, and mindset. Today, we focus on the power of keeping an open mind. You're listening to Trained, presented by Nike. I try to step back as an applied scientist. I'd like to think of myself more as an innovator as well. So I, I, I take a view of what's happening with the athletes, what am I reading from the literature, take ideas from distinct groups and pluck them together. That's Brett Kirby, a human performance scientist at the Nike Sports Research Lab and the lead physiologist on Breaking Two, the first attempt at breaking the two-hour mark for a full marathon. This episode of Trained is all about staying hungry, staying ambitious, even in the face of failure. Too often people think about failure as a blocker to success, but in my opinion, failure is necessary for success. And I know people say this all the time, but it's true. Sometimes you need to fail in order to learn from your mistakes and ultimately accomplish your goals, no matter how crazy they seem. Like one of my athletes, Kai Lenny. Kai's a big wave surfer and paddleboarder from Maui. His goal was to break the paddleboard world record during the Molokai to Oahu race. He needed to paddle through a treacherous 32 miles in under four hours and seven minutes. It was a goal that he talked about for years. And so he and I dedicated six months of training to the race. We tried new training methods that had never been used before, both on and off the board. Everyone, his fans, his sponsors, even Nike, were super excited. But on race day, he didn't make it. In fact, he finished the race in over six hours. But that loss changed his career. Over the following year, we kept training, trying newer methods, and learning from what went wrong. And sure enough, Kai ended up beating the world record and winning the Molokai to Oahu race. He also has gone on to be one of the top big wave surfers in the world, and I believe that loss made his career into what it is today. There are always going to be people who are telling you you can't do it, or your goals are impossible. And sometimes, those people are right. You will and do fail. But when you fail, you learn that taking risks isn't dangerous. If you ever want to accomplish anything great, you've got to fail. Since 2014, Nike has supported the mission of achieving a two-hour marathon time. In 2017, three runners attempted to break the barrier in a moonshot goal called Breaking Two. Elliot Kipchoge ran the fastest marathon in history at two hours and 25 seconds, a world record. So, was that a failure? Because it wasn't sub-two hours? By the numbers, sure. But the leap forward was huge. Kipchoge changed the game. That's the thing about barriers. When you push them, when you run them down, you redefine what's possible. My guest today is Brett Kirby. His work was instrumental during Nike's Breaking Two project last year. Him and his team at Nike cut through the pseudoscience of training and recovery to assess which methods are most effective. Brett, thanks for joining us. So not many people know kind of that we have something like the NSRL and uh, which is the Nike Sports Research Lab. Can you just talk a little bit about your day-to-day job, like what, what it is you do there and the focus of, of that group at Nike? Yeah, I think not many people know there's even a research lab at Nike. I'm a physiologist in the team, so... I kind of study and understand how the athlete is more from a 
how the systems of the body interact, maybe how a person ventilates, how does their cardiovascular system work, how they interact with the muscles and ultimately allow them to perform well. But then we have a tons of people in the group that might be computer scientists, visual artists, and all that comes together holistically. And we have about 60 people in a lab oh. that ends up being able to say, how does an athlete perform the best possible? Let's understand the athlete and let's see what we can do from a footwear and apparel standpoint also and raise their game a bit. Going a little bit now into some of the human performance testing that you guys have done, yeah, one of the biggest sure. projects that, that you guys worked on the past year was Breaking 2, which was an amazing project. Um, for people that don't know, can you just kind of define what Breaking 2 is in your words of, of what the project kind of was and stood for? Yeah, it was a beautiful project. It was basically the first attempt in the world to have any human being run uh, 26.2 miles, so a full marathon in under two hours. Mm-hmm. For us, it was this massive attempt of what we call a moonshot, mm-hmm. really stretch our capacity of an athlete to do something that might be perceived as unimaginable. So we went through about six athletes and it was like, wow, this is not possible. Oh, really? Yeah. So the first six or so, you're like, no, man, we should just can this, can this project right now. It's not going to yeah. happen. Then we got to number seven. I remember him. That was Zerzane Tedesse. And was like, okay, now we're in a different league. This guy is the world record mm-hmm. in the half marathon for a reason. We kept going. And then maybe it took to number 13, found another person, and then to about 18. And collectively had Lalisa Zerzane and Eli Kipchoge as the final three. Yeah. Now, with the three that you guys came down to, um, you know, obviously Kipchoge had the best result. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about him that you found kind of separated him out? Was it at, the, at any point through the process and the training, did you guys, did you notice that he was going to rise to the top a little bit or, or going into it? Was it just kind of, you had no idea? Once they started to get with Kipchoge and see his environment, that's, that's a big thing. Stood out when well, we visited each of the, the guys in their camps. They have a really dialed in program down there. And I think it's the number one thing is consistent, like gentle training. I look at a lot of guys in, in the running programs or even some cycling stuff back in the day and there's a lot, of, a lot of mixed type of training. We get kind of uh, creative and we try to do a lot of stuff and we almost get so worked up with how we're going to build this awesome periodized training program. Mm-hmm. And in the end, just some consistency that gently builds and builds and builds. Yeah. And that's what Elliot had. There's a mystery around the elite athlete and sometimes we can demystify it. Like the needs of an elite athlete are almost akin to any of us, like in everybody on the streets, right? Like 100%. we all have these needs of how do I train better? How do I eat better, sleep better? And it's really not that disparate from the elite guys. No. When you when you kind of, when you got greenlit and you guys kind of were tasked with finding the athletes, that that, mo- that night when you re- recognized like, whoa, we're taking, as you said, this moonshot, mm. what was, how was your, how did you kind of deal with that? And then also what was your mindset in, in going, you know, kind of attacking it in, in your own way as a scientist who was going to help lead these guys to, you know, that two hour mark? Mm was in the fall when we first revealed that we were going to do this thing. Like, okay, we just told the world we're going to try this. Now we're committed. Now we're yeah, on the hook. We're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, I, as a scientist, I was like, I'm really going to have to step up the game. What are we going to do? But every like month that passed, I'd say you get more and more confident that we can do this. Cause we had those three athletes were f- fabulous. Wouldn't trade them for anything. Mm. They all wanted more. And so we kind of fed off each other. I think I became more and more inspired as we shared with them what we want to do and they shared back with us. And like that kind of circle just kept feeding itself. Then in March, when we did a, a practice event, we were probably a bit nervous again because at that moment it was like, you know what, are we going to go through with this? Because we may not make it. We had two of the guys not make one hour for the half marathon. And we were saying, we're going to have a three-day window like a surf competition. 
Like the idea is with the surf, right? Yeah. The waves are big. You go out and you surf with big waves. You don't go surfing on small waves. It was the same with us, which was you can have a three-day window. If the weather's good, we're going. If the weather's not good, we're not going. And that was really foreign to a lot of people. So it was this turmoil, like back and forth of do we shape this race like traditional view or do we accept that we might try to innovate on ways to say we can run and reshape the circumstances by which the athlete needs to perform in to reveal their maximum potential. And that's what our lab does is, is all about that. It's like, how do you re reveal and unmask the barriers that then allow the athlete to showcase themselves? And I think that's what breaking to embodied. So we said, okay, we'll get a good environment, get a good course, get the training right. And then now it's game time for you to show yourself. Some people will say, well, if they can perform well in crazy rain, then they're real true athletes. So it gets this tug of war. But. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's what's like so cool about what you guys did, because I think even in, in kind of it not you guys not breaking the record, there was something super inspiring about it. You know, I think just to have a goal that people would think is impossible. So a lot of people would say that it's not not going to happen. Maybe it will. Who knows? But I think just the fact that we set that mark, that you guys set that goal and went for it was, I think, super inspiring for a lot of people. So I, I think regardless of win, win, lose, or draw, it was it, uh, we need to do more of that. And it was pretty pretty amazing. So when you're going through that, that those kind of, you know, emotions of, of is this going to happen, is it not, and kind of like, you know, everything that was thrown at you guys, how, how much of that did you re- reveal to the athlete? How much of the, the doubt did you reveal to them? How much of it did you hide and kind of keep positive, you know, in your interactions with them? This round, we stayed really positive. And to some of it, it's a mental imagery. Like, I feel like I was going through training as much as they're going through training on this because my background is sort of standard achievements. We're going to put this breaking two as an achievement that's like unheard of, right? Yeah. This is so big and so such a stretch of the performance capacity that I personally had never been in a situation like this. So I'm almost training myself to believe that this is possible and that if all these things come together, we can actually do this. So I didn't tell them a whole lot about my anxiety. (laughs) Some people, you know, may pick up on it here and there, but I send messages to the guys a lot, you know, focusing on the objective, try to visualize in that, that moment, right? Like visualization is so important. So just encouraging to visualize being able to achieve what they want to achieve. And if they get in a situation where they are starting to doubt themselves. How do they handle that? And so it was the same for me. You know, in conclusion with with Breaking 2 and, and how it went, I mean, it was, again, like an amazing inspiration for a lot of people. Now, looking back on it, I guess if you go back again, what would you do different this time? I think I would not probably change the spirit of it all, right? The spirit of trying to achieve something that seems so far away from possible I think we got that. Like a lot of people have told me they were really inspired. I know I was personally inspired. All the athletes that were there that day were inspired. And so I think like spirit of the law, we nailed it. But letter of the law when it comes Mm -hmm. to like, oh, we wanted the objective was two hours, you know, for Mm 26.2 miles. I think anyone who's listening like that might be a runner, the pacing makes such a big deal. So if we're off by one second on our mile, that adds up. And there you go. So if we could have worked with them a little bit more fine-tuned on how we would manage that, that would have been something that would have been really powerful. I'd say that breaking two was awesome because it taught us what we know now. But what I know now, if I could use (laughs) it again, you know, like six months or a year ago, it probably would have paid off. You and I know, like, the hardest thing about working with athletes sometimes is we don't know how they're going to respond to something they've never been in before. And the only way to get the truth is to expose them 
to what the reality is. Yeah. But then it might be too late, right? Yeah, like there's no. only one opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, again, it's a one day and you've never done it before. So you don't really know what is going to have the biggest impact. But um, one of the areas we have talked about in the past, I mean, you know, my experience and some of the things I've tested um, have led me to kind of show that, that some strength training for running is actually beneficial yeah. in my experience. Now, research doesn't support it. And I know you have, you, you're hesitant to co- talk about strength <laughs> training for runners because of the fact that the research isn't there quite there yet, right? Yeah. Can you talk to a little bit about why you believe that strength training for running isn't super beneficial today and yeah. why the research doesn't support it? And then also, like, I'll go back and forth with, with why I think yeah. it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, luckily for, for you, I've had, lately I've been re- rethinking a few things. Um, mm. But yeah, historically, I know I've, I've been on the fence of, yeah, it's not necessary. And I think that's a old school approach. I'm from more of a classic um, specialization. We want to run good, we run. But I was reading some stuff lately because I've been on a kick about how um, how the body's able to handle tearing of muscle, mm-hmm. right? Which would be an area that you, you'd be familiar with. So if we are able to cause these little micro injuries, these little micro damage, that the body's able to adapt to the next time. So let's say we have a first time, we make some small micro tears during a hard workout, and the next time we're exposed to that, our body's able to handle that in a better way. So I was thinking about this related to running. Like if somebody gets in the gym and they make some small tears and then they're able to go out and do a run, they may be more protected against the muscle soreness and the muscle damage that occurs with the pounding on the pavement. So I'm coming around a little bit. (laughs) That's good. I think that that's awesome. After the break, Brett fills us in on what the future of training might look like. So stick around, and we'll be right back. The Nike Training Club app gives you unlimited free workouts and holistic guidance from Nike experts. Get fit with a variety of drills from strength and endurance to mobility and yoga. Also, if you don't have enough time to get to the gym, the app has great workouts you can do from home, a hotel room, or anywhere you have space to move around. Download it now on both Android and iOS. So my initial career uh, academically was going down the, the road of research. And then I recognized quickly, especially working with athletes and being a former athlete, was that there's this gap between research and the athlete. So with a lot of trainers out there today who want to stay closer to science and have a healthier respect for science, how do you kind of distill down onto like what's the most important for people to use? Like, is there anything, you know, any way you could give people advice on how to approach that? I try to step back as um, an applied scientist. I'd like to think of myself more as an innovator as well. So I, I, I take a view of how do I observe what's going on around me. Typically anybody who I might be mentoring or if I'm sharing with other coaches, like take a step back, what are we observing? Like what's happening with the athletes? What am I reading from the literature? This is cool, I'm just taking it without judgment. And then make connections or associations between, oh, this is interesting, this is what's happening when they do hot cold therapy, and this is what they do in basketball. This is what they do over in China. This is what they do in the Buddhist culture, right? Like take ideas from distinct groups and pluck them together. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that like on that fine line of holding true to science, but then yet being open enough to, 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 to change and, and as the world continues to push forward, move with it. Mm -hmm. It's a tough challenge, right? Like that's a turmoil for probably a lot of coaches that we all go through that. I try to think of the greatest leaders in the world outside of sport, in sport, outside of sport, usually they're vulnerable in some sense, right? They usually have some ability to say, I know a few things, but I don't know a lot of things, yeah, right? And that 
has typically paid off for them. And so if I can adopt that approach to say, sure, I know a few things in the back pocket that I do, but the more I can explore areas I don't know will always put us on the edge. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one of the things I talk about to a lot of trainers when they ask me the question is, you know, I never speak in absolutes. I, I think this this field is constantly evolving and changing and we're never going to finish, hit the finish line. We're, we're, we're babies in terms of research in, in the training field. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, more and more today, I think we're hearing a lot more about recovery. I think before it was so much about the, the training, um, the programming and, and kind of what went into, you know, breaking the body down and building it back up, you know, for you, what's most important to bring to light in recovery and what do you think is most beneficial for most people that are listening to kind of start implementing today um, based on the evidence that you've read and seen that I think people see the biggest impact from? Well, load management. So how many, how frequently do we take on a load of exercise? Let's put it that way. And if we can manage that day to day, that's a big deal. And typically when we think of recovery, we're that I'm thinking of it as how do we decrease the load today? That could be it's an off day. could be I'm off my feet. I'm in bed. Some people think of classically exercise intensity zones. I I think of it as like recovery zones. Mm. So it's like you're off today or no, you're like not really walking around the mall or like whatever you're going to do, or you're like almost in bed. You're going to take two naps. So we kind of decrease the level of how do we fully heal? So you and I both know the sleep's the one of the best ways we get the regeneration of our tissue. So from a recovery zone standpoint, I'm thinking the same thing. You have like full gas sleep recovery. I also think nutrition is definitely one of the biggest things we know over and over from the literature, right? It works if we do the nutrition at the right time. So we're getting that carbohydrate and protein in it immediately after the hard exercise and then kind of taking the regular protein intake throughout the day. There's a good study recently, I don't know if you, you saw it, about ingesting protein before bed. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. a little bit of carbohydrate with protein before bed it creates a little extra hypertrophy and healing of the muscle, yep. like that kind of stuff. Like those things are, are valuable. They're not complicated, but they, they do pay off to the recovery for the athlete to perform the next time they need to perform. From a research background, when, if someone were to say, based on evidence today, what's the best way to get, to get in the best shape the fastest? Is there any yeah. one method you could point to that's, that you could say does that the best <laughs> well if you take on a lot of load you'll get you'll eventually get a good <laughs> if you don't break right? right if we don't break the body in some way yeah bang for the buck stuff the short the short explosive stuff so there's a there was a good wave in the last five to ten years on how do i do really short high intensity efforts and then take a significant amount of rest so i think it started something with like 30 seconds full gas exercise and then maybe take five minutes down and that kind of morphed into this other stuff from Tabata, old school, like let's do a lot of micro intervals, depends what lingo we use, yeah. you know, micro intervals or Tabata could be the same kind of thing, but it's just short duration, high intensity stuff followed by some period of rest. That's, that's pretty good bang for your buck. Something I've been thinking about in, in terms of most people that w- would be listening to this don't have the ability to go through like a custom shoe fitting session. So what, what, what is it, what are the key things that they should look for in choosing a shoe if they're looking to you know, run a half marathon or something. Yeah, the number one thing's fit, for sure. We're really advancing in our footwear. They're pretty different. So some of our latest footwear would say, we're going to make you as efficient as possible. So think about this as like a car, a Prius, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to be really, really efficient with your energy. There's certain shoes that allow us to be really efficient with our energy. But if we train with that shoe every single day, we may not get the maximum benefit of training. So I'm going to say to the people that would be listening to this, think about what we need get a comfortable shoe and then think about, is this for training? 
or is this for racing? Because we may need totally different shoes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's when you when you walk into most gyms, you'll see majority of people who are doing strength training will be wearing running shoes a lot of times. I mean, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it, look, but most people at the end of the day can't afford 10 pairs of shoes for 10 different activities. Yeah. So they have to find the one that does the most for them, you know, is the, is the best, I guess, across the different methods of training that they want to use. But um, how do you think trainers could change their mindset about how they train their athletes? I think it's always good to be open. Like sometimes we're, we're really in into the details. We're jamming through the program. The athlete's progressing really well. But if we kind of look under the hood and say, okay, is there anything that could be going on with this athlete that either could alert us to potential injury, potential illness, potential reason that there could be a stumble? The other thing is overtraining, right? Which yeah. is this under recovery yeah. kind of like everything's progressing well. It's nice and exciting as a coach or a trainer to be like, oh, cool, I'm going to increase the load again. We're going to go bigger gains. Like things are really cooking well. The thing that I've seen is consistency typically trumps trying to go for the big gains. So we go these big hits. I've run into trouble when I get excited and like, oh, dude, we're going to make yeah. another push versus let's just let the little stuff add on a little stuff, add on a little stuff. And before we know it, like it'll be really big mountain. Is there something in the next five years that, that you think will come to light that people haven't heard yet, yet, whether it be from a training perspective, recovery or technology that mm. you're like getting really excited about the potential of or? Mm. Well, ketogenic diet, I wouldn't say is not necessarily a new revelation. I do think a supplement with ketones as a fuel source is something that we'll see more of. The ketone esters? Yeah. yeah, ketone esters. Like, because the idea that historically we use fats, we use carbohydrate, and rarely would we use protein for energy, the idea that you could have a supplement in the form of, like, a drink mix that is ketone esters, that would be quick quick fuel to preserve my energy as glycogen, I think is going to get more and more exciting. I think we're going to see that outside of the endurance world to team sports, if not soccer teams, football yeah. teams, probably already pl playing in that world. I think that's a, that's a little more steam. Same. I'm really excited about that as well. I think, have you tasted it? Tastes yeah, it like tastes terrible. Gasoline. Oh, bitter. Yeah, it's rocket fluid yeah. right now. But like, hopefully, yeah, that is, as, as the, the research comes around, the taste comes around a little because yeah. that'd yeah. be tough to have kids start to drink. But no, I'm excited about that too. That, that is a really good one. What do you see out there today in the training world that you see that, that has the research and you still see a lot of people use doing it mm. that you, that you just want to say like, I wish people would finally see the light and go, we're not going to do this anymore. Is there anything out there in the training world today that you feel like <laughs> just needs to change once and for all? Well, I don't, I don't know if it needs to change, but I still wonder a lot about the hot and cold water baths, right? Yeah. There's such a mixed evidence on when do you have heat and when do you have cold yeah. and how does that respond for each athlete? So if we can make advancements in that world, it would be awesome to understand how does athlete A respond to heat and cold at what time and in what interval? What potential like hormones, proteins, or is our bodies not creating mm -hmm. because we're not exposed to any any mm -hmm. weather or any environment? Mm -hmm. You know, are you interested in that research as that comes through? Oh, I definitely believe that we're constrained by not exposing ourselves to more environments, right? Like we, our body will is extremely adaptable. We say plastic in the scientific community, but like that basically means it's flexible and adaptable, mm -hmm. and it will shape to whatever we expose it to. So if we expose it to a lot of heat, it'll find a way to adapt to heat. If we're always inside in the AC, in Houston, let's say it's Houston, Texas, right? AC all the time, all the time, and I try to go out for exercise, and I'm dying. Well, it's probably because I'm always exposed to the AC. It will adapt in mysterious ways. And so 
I try to get our athletes to explore areas that they haven't seen before because those things also accumulate on each other. There's little tricks too. You're talking about heat. There's a good study recently, just wearing a little extra layer of clothing if you want to get some heat therapy because not everyone has this fancy chamber like we have in the NSRL Mm -hmm. where you can set temperatures and get trained in heat every day. Well, add an extra layer of clothing on and your body might start to adapt to that. And then when you got to go to a race in a hot day, your body's familiar. Okay, I've, I've seen this before. Yeah. Yeah. If you did everything everyone talks about today in your day, you'd be up all day, 24 hours a day, trying yeah. to fit it all in, doing a sauna, doing cold, you know, taking a cold shower, um, massaging, all the stuff that, that people are talking about you should be doing. What, what are some of the most important, like, triggers that you feel like are evidence-based and you've seen the most impact from with athletes when it comes to recovery or training that people should, you know, try to implement today if they could? All right, let's do three. Okay. Uh, managing the load. So if I'm an athlete who's coaching myself or if I'm a coach or a trainer for somebody else, how do I make sure they get enough to get the training benefit plus the recovery, the downtime, so they can capitalize on the training benefit? To sleep, for sure. Simple thing, we get carried away, like you said, cryotherapy, I gotta go do this, that, and the other, and you're like, just work to eight hours of sleep, let's move you to 10 hours of sleep. Like, let's get you, little by little, find a way to get more rest. And then third is the food, nutrition. Like, how do we get the sustenance that the body needs to heal itself. We start with those three things, get those nailed, and then we can get fancy on like all the other stuff, like what I need to do. Yes, massage, really helpful, feels good. But if I'm not training right and my load's off, doesn't, right? We're just compensating. All those other things are compensation for, I have a problem with load, I'm not giving myself the time to heal, and I'm not giving myself the materials to provide healing, which should be the, the nutrition. Yeah. You get that right, then the other stuff is like the whipped cream cherry on top, you know? I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show with us. It was a fascinating interview and information, and I think people are going to get a ton out of it. Thanks. It was good to be here. Good talking. I learned a lot from the conversation with Brett. But if there's one thing I want you to take away, it's this. First and foremost, what he deals with with elite athletes in the sports research lab are are similar problems that all of us face, right? Like whether it's, you know, eating ice cream or um, making sure they're getting, you know, enough sleep. And some of the tools they use to kind of avoid those pitfalls, I think, are a lot of what we can learn from and a lot of what trainers can kind of take to their clients and, and, and remind them is that, you know, yeah, you, you, you ate bad, like, so what, like, now what are you going to do about it? It's a great lesson for all of us to remember is that we're all very similar to elite athletes and that they struggle with the same pitfalls we all do. Trained is produced by Nike Training Club Pro. To join the premier network for fitness professionals everywhere, go to nike.com slash ntcpro. The best of Nike, exclusively for trainers. Our next episode is with Ariana Huffington, founder and CEO of Thrive Global and the founder of the Huffington Post. See you guys then. Consult your doctor before engaging in an exercise program of any kind, especially if you have a medical condition. Use good judgment and common sense about your own fitness level and ability when engaging in a training program. If something doesn't feel right, stop immediately and seek medical attention as necessary.